Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Rock. And I'm Brendan Collins, and welcome, Ball Stars, one and all, to this week's episode of the Balls Over the Top, Balls Over the Safety Super Bowl Prediction Show. We've made it here to the end of this NFL season, and we have a great finale to look forward to this Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, we have the big game coming up this weekend, and we are super excited about it here it's always a fun time of year. Even if it's two teams you're not interested in, you get the food spread going, you get the commercials, the halftime show, the lights, the pageantry. Wow. What, what a, a musical. <laughs> so we have a lot to look forward to this year, too. In addition to the fact that I think it's a miracle we even got here, mm-hmm. we have a lot of interesting storylines beyond just the two teams lining up on the field. There's the legacies of these quarterbacks. There's the legacies of these head coaches. There's the fact that it's the first home Super Bowl for a team to be playing in their home stadium. And then, obviously, there is the shroud of COVID-19 that just hangs over everything in these past 18 months. But we are going to jump right into things. And I mentioned it there briefly. We have a quarterback matchup here that is... One for the ages. Is it too early to say two future Hall of Famers? I mean, I, I numbers-wise, no. I mean, there's probably already some equipment from both of them in the building. Absolutely. They both hold all sorts of records. Mahomes still currently with single-season records or probably some game records at this point. Just incredible, some of the things he does. And then, obviously, the quarterback records in the NFL ledgers and Hall of Fame almost look like a sign-in sheet and a daily log for Tom Brady. I mean, he is carpet-bombed throughout that entire thing. Yards, touchdowns, completions, whether we're talking single season, whether we're talking career. Games played. He's there. Absolutely. Wins, playoff wins, and of course, you can't forget the rings. Game-winning drives. Uh, The whole bit. Tom Brady is scandals that have gotten their teams doc draft picks. Yeah. Hey, it's actually also also a league leader. Yeah. So it's pretty remarkable. Obviously, we have incredible quarterbacks here. I know we're talking a lot about story and a lot about, you know, making some jokes here and there. But really, statistically, the years that these guys had were both very impressive. Oh, crazy, crazy years. I mean, both of them. I know it's not quite what it used to be, but over 4,000 yards passing for both these quarterbacks. And in systems that also utilizes the running game quite well because we had impressive running backs this season. Yeah, and then you look at things like their completion percentages. I mean, incredibly high. Mahomes was at 73.5%. In the playoffs. Oh, in the playoffs. But um, in general, I mean, Mahomes has been really good. Just an unreal season. You look at the touchdown totals for these two players. I mean, 40 and 38 touchdowns. I remember years ago when eclipsing 30 was considered a major achievement. And these guys seem to do it with ease. And the thing is, they're both really good about taking care of the football. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady, whether it be via turnover, he doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. He manages to get the ball out before he is truly pressured. Better than maybe any quarterback of all time. Yeah, it's a short list. And Mahomes, well, he doesn't get the ball out of pressure 
in the sense that Brady does and just dumping it off, but he uses his legs and his incredible athleticism mm-hmm. to escape situations. I mean, he looks like Harry Houdini out there. Yeah, he, I'm, he looks like a baseball player. It works for him. So, I got to ask you the proverbial question here. We know the matchup. We know the teams. For one game, four quarters, which quarterback are you backing here? I got to say, I've I've gone with this logic before. I'm going with this logic again. I was Andy Reid. I would 100% take Patrick Mahomes. But if I'm entering this hypothesis as myself, I have to go with Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady just gets it done. At this point, Tom Brady's his own machine. You you wonder how much of a backseat Bruce gets to take and just kind of ride with the hot sunglasses and the cool hat. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Papa Bruce there. We all love Bruce Arians. Oh, yeah. But you're totally right. Tom Brady can pretty much coach himself. He was a disciple of Bill Belichick. You know, we always talk about these disciples of Bill Belichick that get jobs in the NFL, and we see them all over the place. None of them have as many years under Bill Belichick as Tom Brady. Nope. Matt Patricia, Mike Vrabel, Josh McDaniels. They don't have as many years learning under the greatest football mind that we've seen, Bill Belichick, that Tom Brady does. And so when you get to absorb that much information, because I don't think Tom Brady naturally came out that brilliant of a football player. I think I think Peyton Manning did because of his upbringing with his dad being an NFL quarterback and you know, they were mm-hmm. kind of almost... I was, I was going to say Peyton Manning was like the rain man of the NFL, but then what is Eli Manning? Sleep man. <laughs> right? So I never thought Tom Brady had that deep, genius-level intellect with the game, but I think 20 years under Bill Belichick, you develop it. Yeah, uh, 20 years' experience alone, just seeing it drive after drive, you, you feel like you pick a thing or two up. And in this scenario now, I'm just suddenly thinking of Bruce Arians almost as a bald, dare I say, almost like Guy Fieri's dad. Yeah. Just coming into Flavortown, spicing things up. Yeah, exactly. Be the creative force. A little bit. Providing that change of pace, very different philosophy than Bill Belichick. A lot more airing it out. You know, it reminds me a lot more of the Wes Welker, Randy Moss, Rob Gronkowski, New England Patriots rosters that were just... A nightmare for teams to deal with through yeah. the air, and then they would run it down your throat with like Legarrette Blunt or whomever, mm-hmm. Danny Woodhead. Oh, good player. Not even a joke. But I tell you, I'm going to take this question a little bit less literally. I'm going to not imagine myself as getting called up to the big leagues, Michael Rock. You're you're going pro. We're sending you up to coach the Super Bowl. Like obviously, I don't want to say obviously that's never going to happen. I don't want to doom myself too much, but you know. We're not on that track right now. Mm-hmm. I think every sign says point to Patrick Mahomes. I think you need a team built around Tom Brady at this point in his career. No disrespect to Tom. But he went to a team that had Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. And Capspace. Not Yeah, I mean, they got our boy Scotty Miller. There's Antonio Brown. There's running backs galore with adding Fournette to Ronald Jones, then Shady McCoy. Your tight end situation, O.J. Howard was an pretty much considered like top 10 tight end coming into the season. Oh, he gets hurt. You have to rely on Cameron Brait, another starting caliber tight end, and future Hall of Famer Rob Gronkowski. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things where... The floor of the talent of the position in this team is very impressive, pretty much top to bottom. Yeah, they have an incredible lineup. And so 
it's not that crazy to think about. You you see the running backs, wide receivers, offensive line, the defensive line. There's more free agency money in that defensive line than probably any other one in the NFL other than maybe the Eagles with the amount of money we've funneled into defensive linemen to play opposite Fletcher Cox. Mm-hmm. I think you got to go Patrick Mahomes. He's a one-man playmaker. I feel like you could put him out there with a peewee football team and there'd still be some touchdowns scored. But is is he out there with a peewee football team? No. I mean, probably currently the best tight end in football. Currently one of the top wide receivers in football. But I tell you, like, you put a... I feel like if you put, like, a mid-level quarterback, you know, like a Teddy Bridgewater, not bad, but not like a world beater, you know? I feel like if we put him, transplant him to either one of these teams, he would have more success. We're not talking head coaches here. He would have more success with the weapons in Tampa than Kansas City. No disrespect to Tyreek Hill. No disrespect to Tyreek Hill. Nicole Hardman's a weapon. But I think... Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, but... Again, we, we already talked about phenomenal tight ends on Tampa. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Good. Will I take him over Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones? Uh, and then Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Come on, Mike Evans, again, no offense to Tyreek Hill, because Tyreek Hill is one of the most explosive playmakers in the NFL. But he's everything a quarterback will want. Yeah, I mean, for a physical wide receiver to be able to go up and get the ball and get And, and then they have Chris Godwin, who's one of the best route runners and best hands in the league. Some of... Yeah. You know, it's basically, he reminds me a lot of, like, Stefan Diggs. So, I think i got to go Mahomes here. But that's why we debate it, and that's why they're the two teams left. Yeah, I mean... These guys both had phenomenal seasons. You could have made a legitimate MVP argument for either one of them, even though I think it is going to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And I'm super excited to see how they face off. We know Brady can bring the fireworks, but we've also seen him be stagnant and get stifled in Super Bowls before, so... We got a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. But we are going to move on away from this quarterback matchup, and we are going to take a look at how these two teams line up at that tight end position. I know you mentioned it before. Yes. Travis Kelsey. Yes. Far and away the most dangerous player at that position in the league right now. Nobody can do more from that position, whether it's blocking, whether it's receiving over the middle, dealing with linebackers and safeties and making those contested catches or running in space and lining up out wide, doing that kind of thing that I don't want to credit Jimmy Graham for starting, but, you know, it kind of seems like those Patriots when they had Gronk and Hernandez and Jimmy Graham when he really exploded in New Orleans, that flex wide receiver tight end lining up off the line, going to go out there and make somebody look foolish. Do I, need, thing. do I need to take you to the hospital? Did you just forget who, like, Tony Gonzalez is? Yeah, but those Chiefs teams didn't really do that that often. Early on, they didn't have the passing attack. I mean, no offense to Tony G, world-class player, but what, Trent Green was their quarterback? They weren't doing, and, and Priest Holmes was getting 200 touches, or Larry Johnson were getting 200, 300 touches a season. They weren't doing dynamic, crazy, innovative things with Tony Gonzalez at that position that much. If anything, you would maybe say Antonio Gates in San Diego more so than you would say... 
Jimmy Graham first, yeah. Jimmy Graham first. But Jimmy Graham's the one, when he was making the push to have his franchise tag switched from tight end to wide receiver, that was, I think, when you started to see a lot of teams starting to adapt that, and he had a legitimate argument for that. Fair enough. That is that is something that could be looked at. What we should be looking at is how good Travis Kelsey's also been in this postseason. He's gotten 13 first downs. Well, he obviously is Patrick Mahomes' security blanket. Again, no offense to the other talent there, and not that he's the type of guy that needs one, but those two guys have some sort of telepathy going on or something. When the pocket's breaking down, when it looks like it's going to be a loss or a broken play, suddenly Travis Kelsey floats into space, and he's off and running. And... It's really a great when a quarterback and his receiver are on that same kind of chemistry, especially when they're a giant frame, big body, incredible hands. Yeah, you're going to pick up a lot of first downs. Now, in this offseason, he's been averaging 10.5 receptions per game. Do you think that we see a replication of this performance because of the defense that he is going up against? Well, that's tough because, you know, they're up against a really good linebacking core. I imagine Levante, David, and Devin White. Remember, Devin Devin White, faster than a lot of cornerbacks and wide receivers out there. So those are two linebackers that you could argue would be better at containing him. Obviously, he's still going to have a lot of matchups against that secondary, which is a little bit more porous as far as how they match up against tight ends. But I'm imagining we see a bit of a chess match going on there. Todd Bowles has had these linebackers really playing this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm not not necessarily one to shoot down the possibility of that production. But, you know, are we talking, is he going to have six or seven first downs at 130 yards and a touchdown or more? I don't know. That's a tall ask. That's a tall ask in any game, let alone the Super Bowl. I mean, those are kind of MVP-type numbers, obviously, though, in that case, a quarterback's putting up really good numbers as well. So. Yeah, true. But I definitely think he'll be productive. And again, when things are really starting to break down, which I think will happen against this defensive front, especially with the offensive line issues that Chiefs are having, Mahomes is going to be looking his way. So he will be around the ball, look for him to make some plays, but you could also see things... You know, they could be swarming him. They're going to have their eyes on that. There could be some batted balls, a deflected ball that gets intercepted, those kinds of things. When a player's trying to force the ball somewhere and they're flustered, crazy things happen. Bad things happen. But we can flip to the other sideline. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple of great tight ends there. It's much more by committee than their counterparts this weekend. Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brate. Not having quite the production from the tight end spot that we're used to seeing on these Tom Brady teams. Well, again, I think that goes back to what I mentioned in our previous segment. O.J. Howard, who was really the best athletic specimen, kind of the closest thing to a prime Gronkowski, or almost like a hybrid between Hernandez and Gronkowski. He's a little bit smaller, but some better speed. Mm Mm-hmm. Gets injured, misses the whole season. I mean, I think he went down, what, week three or week four? I had him on my fantasy team. I just tried to block the memory out. So you wonder what their game plan was there. They were probably planning on using Gronk for goal line situations pretty much exclusively. 
and having Cameron Brait operate as that number two pass catcher, also good run blocker. I mean, both these guys are better blockers than O.J. Howard. And then again, we have the weapons on the outside that they have. A.J. Brown, or not A.J. Brown, Antonio Brown, sorry, there it is. Had a brain fart. Antonio Brown, Mike Evans. Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin. And then remember... Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller. Tom Brady and Scotty Miller have got this vibe going on. It's, you know, the way that Tom Brady gets with those... Short, fast, white guys? Short, fast, white guys. You know, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola. Oh, yeah. The trend continues, and Scotty Miller has been burning people. He even came out saying he thinks he could beat Tyreek Hill in a race. Which is adorable. It's laughable. It's Well, it's that New Jersey attitude from the Rutgers kid. But focusing it back to that tight end position, I think that explains the lack of targets. That explains the lack of production if you were to just look at a box score and wonder what Gronk or Bray did this year. But when the lights are on is when Tom Brady likes to throw a curveball, likes to switch things up. And you imagine that Gronk is going to... I could see Gronk getting in the end zone or being targeted or maybe even some of those weird gadget plays. One of the stupidest plays, I think, in football, by the way, the tight end screen. Something like that. They're going to want to get the ball in his hands because also I think Gronk thrives in these situations. He came back to try and win a Super Bowl. Yeah, That's the reason he's here. Right. He put up with the other 364 days of bullshit to For play this in this one game. Day, yeah. So I'd be expecting to see him really, with the opportunities he's getting, trying to make something happen. He's been not catching very well, though. I, this postseason, only catching less than 29% of his targets. It's going to be tough. He only has one first down this entire postseason. That's not getting him into the mix like they're used to. But Cameron Braid does have a bit of a sore back coming into this matchup, and he's been the most consistent tight end target. He's got seven first downs. He has a touchdown this postseason, and getting about four receptions a game, each about 10 yards apiece, he's been helping them move the sticks. It'll be interesting to see how well he is you know, rested, healed up, and ready for this game. Well, they had the extra bye week in there. Hopefully gets all numbed up, gets in good playing shape. Obviously, we want him in his best possible condition. Wish everybody good health for this game. But you look at it, he's got to feel pretty good being in this company. Definitely the other two guys on this list are future Hall of Famers, without a doubt. First ballot. Their name will barely be finished being said before they will have enough votes yeah. To garner enshrinement. So Cameron Brait, I think, happy to be a part of this history. Hopefully he can maybe put up a couple big plays and demand that people say his name in the same sentence as Gronk and Kelsey when they look back on this Super Bowl. Well, we can move on to our next topic. And really, it is the coaching matchup. It's the head honchos. And for guys that look almost like twins, they really couldn't be more different. Yeah, two very different paths. Bruce, Bruce Arians, obviously, having his success as a college coach before moving up into the pros. I mean, he had jobs in the pro football coaching. Yeah. But as far as head coaching success, yeah, found his success in college, then came up. Gave birth to the Temple football program. Exactly. 
and then had some pretty fun teams. I mean, he was the head coach out in Arizona when they had a couple of nice runs out there with those Fitzgerald and Bolden teams. And then they've really picked him. I imagine the amount of candidates that were lining up to coach that team with Tom Brady coming down and with everything going well, Bruce on. Bruce was there first. Well, that's true. But Yeah, I mean, he had... But he also, he had Jameis Winston going 30 and 30, which is crazy. But it's impressive. It's impressive to see him thriving in this role. You know, a guy who retired just before taking this job and kind of was coerced out of retirement to come back, take over this program, give it one last, one last run round. Yeah, putting the cool hat on one more time. Well, let's... We can look at the resume of these two coaches. Andy Reid, 22 years as an NFL head coach. He's been coaching in the league since 1992, before we were even born. He's won the NFC Championship, the AFC Championship, and he's a Super Bowl champion. Yeah, pretty much nothing on his resume that he hasn't, or nothing that you could have on a resume that he hasn't accomplished. And what's pretty incredible, too, is the coaching tree that has emerged from Andy Reid as a mentor. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it feels like almost every team in the league, other than maybe the Patriots and Pittsburgh, have had a coach that was a disciple of Andy Reid. You know, you think about it, or at least in that same tree, I think about Seattle, there was Holmgren. You know, you look really all over the place. Leslie Frazier in in Minnesota I mean, we could go literally Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, the whole shebang, John Harbaugh. Sean McDermott. Exactly. We could sit here and make a whole podcast about people in the Andy Reid coaching tree. I did say, by the way, Mike Holmgren, Andy Reid was in Mike Holmgren's coaching tree. Right. But, uh, you know, that's part of the tree still. It's just, you know. It's a different part. Well, I mean, I guess Andy's the seed in that case. Yeah, because I was going to say Michael Holmgren was the head coach of that Green Bay Packers team that Andy got his first Super Bowl ring as Brett Favre's quarterback coach. Very true. And Andy Reid also boasts an incredible 71% winning percentage in the NFL. I got to say, you know, football is a sport of any given Sunday, but having that 71 win percentage behind your back going into these games, it's got to make you feel pretty good about your chances when you're head coach is doing the right thing, making good calls, scheming up good plays, coaching the guys up at the right time to go out and get it done. Yeah, and these are really two of the best guys to have on a sideline. I mean, they're both great motivators. They're both locker room guys. They both tend to be cherished by their fan bases. They manage personalities extremely well. And they're kind of the old guard. You know, we constantly are hearing about these young head coaches, whether it's Clingsbury, whether it's out in L.A. Sean McVay. Sean McVay, thank you. Uh, even when we picked up Doug Peterson, you know, it's going young guy, less experience, fresh even, ideas. Even McDermott. Kyle Shanahan. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, Nick Sirianni this year. It, it's a recurring trend. Oh, yeah, in the, Matt LaFleur is incredibly young. We saw it all over the place, really. And so on the other end of that, you see a couple of these old guard guys hanging around. You know, you look at it, Andy Reid, Bruce Arians, Pete Carroll, 
honestly, Mike Tomlin at, at this the, point. Yeah, Mike, Mike Tomlin. Even though he was, at the time he was hired, he was the youngest NFL head coach of all time, I believe. I think he broke John Madden's record or something. Or he might have been youngest Super Bowl winner because he won a yeah, Super Bowl, like, right off the bat. Yeah, real early. Right immediately after the Bill Cowher years, right? Yeah, it was like Bill two Cowher or three years later. Bill Gower got his with, and then like, with, with, with Roethlisberger. And then Tomlin yeah. got one with Roethlisberger right after. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Bruce Arians, seven years of head coaching experience, 16 years in the NFL, talked about his Temple head coach. But really, I think his most impressive feat has been pulling all the free agents that they got this year and putting them into a team and then taking that team to the Super Bowl. You know, we were talking about guys managing personalities, and there are a lot of personalities on this Tampa Bay team. I mean, how often did we see Leonard Fournette have issues with coaching staffs in Jacksonville? How easy is it to manage an Antonio Brown? Not easy, because there have been... Well, no, I mean, we saw Fournette force his way off of that Jacksonville team. We've seen even guys like Jason Pierre-Paul, with all of the baggage he carries around... With one arm. Maybe Ndamukong Sue was a huge, considered to be a locker room cancer or, you know, one of those people that took a personality manager to kind of reel in. And Bruce Arians does an incredible job with it. And these are teams that you tend to not hear too much controversy. I mean, in Kansas City, maybe a little bit more because Andy Reid has now taken on that almost Tony Dungy type role of wanting to rehabilitate players and or they're just big stars if it's like Tyreek Hill but you know Mm -hmm. he wanted to bring back Michael Vick he wanted to bring back you name it I was going to say Kareem Hunt but he didn't bring back Kareem Hunt they tried to they tried pretty hard until the video came out yeah and that really sinks the ship so Definitely locker room guys, definitely guys that are going to have their teams motivated, and they run very high-octane offenses. However, two very different styles of play. We know the matchups, we know the offenses, we know the defenses. You think it's going to be Andy Reid's kind of high-pressure, run-and-gun, sling-it, gun-slinging mentality, letting Patrick Mahomes go out there and wheel and deal that's going to get it done, or do you think it's going to be that more methodical Bruce Arian-style offense Mixing in the run a little bit better, utilizing that Tom Brady clock management and wit to not take, not wit, but you know, knowledge to not take negative yards. The wisdom. Wisdom. I, I think if we look at all the Super Bowls in which Tom Brady's been handed the loss, what's happened? The other coach has just dropped a concrete block onto the gas pedal put it all the way down to the floor and just try to drive as many points to score up as high as possible and just try to outrace Tom I think this is something that we can see again and if there's somebody who can drop that pedal to the floor I think it's gotta be Andy Reid I think you're absolutely correct in that aspect and I tend to agree with you here but Just to play devil's advocate and present the opposite side of this argument, you could say that everybody, as you said, who's gotten the best of Tom Brady in those Super Bowls has had to put their foot on the gas, and that's why you think Andy Reid's going to do that. But how about the times that Tom Brady has gotten the best of other people in the Super Bowl? 
Usually it's with a methodical offense and a devastating defense. And I think that methodical offense, letting Tom Brady manage that clock, be that game manager that, not calling Brady a game manager, but when you approach the game as a game manager, but you have the talent, knowledge, and reads to be able to then thrive when the defense gives you opportunities, Mm -hmm. you're going to make a lot of teams look foolish. Absolutely. I think this point really brings us to our matchup to watch in the Super Bowl, and it's going to be actually on the sidelines. Yeah, a lot of people have their eyes on the players, and obviously we will as well, well, but who is really going to be scheming these systems into place? And that is going to be our coordinators. And we have our eyes on one matchup in particular. They were two of the hottest head head coaching candidates this past offseason, but neither one of them landed with a team. We have Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, who has been just... He's had this Kansas City locomotive just chugging off the rails. Unbelievable. From start to finish of this season, teams haven't had a way to stop them. And then on the other side of it, Todd Bowles, the ex-New York Jets head coach, has had that defense, and most notably those linebackers, purring. I mean, they have been dominant. Yeah, There's they, no other... I mean, they've been good in pass coverage. They've been good in pass rushing. They've been good in stopping the run. And turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. They have been generating turnovers at a near-historic rate. Putting the ball back in the offense's hands, that's how you swing games around. Yeah, it's how you... And how you, you know, you give yourself short field, gives you time to control the ball, move methodically, which is something that they excel at. If you had to pick a head coach for your team out of these two candidates, do you go with the offensive genius that Eric Bieniemy has shown these past couple years, or do you think Todd Bowles is the defensive stalwart that you can really try to build a franchise around? Well, I'm going Eric Bieniemy for two reasons. The first reason, and it's the most obvious, is Todd Bowles just had a head coaching job. I saw what he did there, and while it was more respectable than recent Jets head coaches, maybe since Eric Mangini or that little Rex Ryan period where he was good for a year or two, it was still incredibly disappointing. That team has remained in the basement, and while I do not blame Todd Bowles on that, I've se- I've seen that he's not the guy where if I'm a head- if I'm a team that fired their head coach, it probably means that I was unhappy with what was going on. I don't know if I trust Todd Bowles to be able to write that ship. Something a little bit smaller, like a defense, handful of players, a film room, maybe even just a, a position group. Absolutely, Todd Bowles has got that down. But a full roster and assistant coaches, I'm a little bit skeptical. The enemy, on the other hand, has shown nothing but promise and potential. And this Kansas City offense has seemed to get more creative and more dynamic and more fine-tuned each of the last few years since we poached Doug Peterson from Kansas City in the first place. That's true. I think Todd Bowles absolutely makes an excellent candidate. I think, you know, we judge him by his time with the Jets, but we have to remember that the Jets are a just complete system of dysfunction. And I don't know how much I can really hold that against Todd Bowles, especially because of how much 
defensive effort he gets from, you know, a whole team where they only really had one superstar in, in Revis, right? Eric Bieniemy also an excellent head coaching candidate. Um, it's very surprising to me that neither of them got more aggressively sought after. But I guess considering the timing of the head coach openings and and firings and then openings of those positions, it seems like Tim, teams were racing quick and these guys still had jobs to do. Yeah, that's really the one thing I would point to in that scenario because you're right. Otherwise, there is no excuse for these guys not rocking the headset and clipboard next year as head NFL coaches. But I tell you, there's one more matchup within the matchup here that I want to keep an eye on, and that's how these two coordinators handle what I think may be what the fate of this game rests on. And that is the pass rush of Tampa Bay up against a battered Kansas City offensive line. Now without their starting left tackle, torn Achilles tendon, going to miss potentially even a good portion of next season. How do you adjust with the blind side now being compromised in the biggest game of the year? And how do you expect Tampa to try and target that, take advantage of it? Well, you do have the benefit of that being already the strong side of Tampa's defense. So it's not like they have to really overload that side at, you know, they can get through maybe with the guys they have, but every offensive line has to find a way to come together and, and execute. And the fact that Patrick Mahomes can move so well and buy time on his own, the fact that he can make throws on the run out of the pocket, and the fact that he has weapons that assist him in creating the time and space and separation, it's no tall order. You know, most teams with a pocket passer who lose their left tackle, that's a really strong concern, but you still have Patrick Mahomes, and you just have to think they still might have the upper hand in that in that battle. Well, I tell you what you want to keep an eye on, right? And that's the way that they utilize their stacking of the pressure. I don't imagine they're going to be stacking that left side. I imagine the opposite. I imagine they're going to be stacking the right side because they know when things start to break down on that left side, what does Patrick Mahomes love to do more than anybody in the league? Roll out to that strong side, right-hand side. He loves to roll out to keep the throw across the body as opposed to needing to kind of corkscrew back. Obviously, by the way, he's the best of all time at that corkscrew back rolling left throw, but he loves to roll out on that strong side. And so I expect to see them kind of stacking the pressure on the right and hoping that that left side is as leaky as they want it to be to force him to roll out into their oncoming pressure. Or scored up the middle after already getting banged up this postseason. It will be interesting to watch. But why don't we bring it into the home stretch here? And I got to say, we got a lot of things to keep an eye on coming into the big game. One thing for people who aren't necessarily the biggest football fans. Yep. Lots that, of advertising majors are going to relate to this. That everybody looks forward to are the commercials. And there are all sorts of different brands. Obviously, we have the staples. We, there was actually some big news this year. A couple of the big name brands were not going to run any ads. Like most notably was Budweiser is not running any ads. Now, 
their affiliates still are. There's going to be Bud Light commercials, as there always are. But, you know, those Budweiser commercials, usually with the Clydesdale horses, some sort of inspirational message, or the one with the puppy and the horse a few years back, that one everybody liked. One of the big companies that pulled out this year, whether it's because of the pandemic, whether it's because of their own financial strain, or a lot of them claimed that they wanted to allocate that money elsewhere. We saw a couple of big companies sending frontline workers to the Super Bowl or doing other neat things with that ad money. What's one of your favorite companies to keep an eye on that usually runs some ads? I'm always a sucker for the Geico commercials. I think they constantly are throwing out heat. You know, they've had the caveman, they've had the gecko, they've had all the little surprise fun ones in between. Oh, absolutely. Whoever's running Geico's ad room deserves bigger raises than they could imagine. Probably the Presidential Medal of Freedom at this point. But I tell you, the ones that I have had my eyes on the last few years that tend to be pretty fun are Tide has had a handful of really good ads the last several years, especially when they kept on like infiltrating everybody else's ads. That was a lot of fun. And the other one that I was really tend to be a fan of year in and year out is Doritos. I feel like Doritos pretty much year in or like they always have a knockout, something that at least scores genuinely positive reviews from the commercial watchers, the people who are more excited for the breaks than they are for the action. Well, speaking of commercials this year, I don't know if you've seen this story, but it's been something I've followed a little bit. Have you seen that Squarespace has purchased some head time in this year's Super Bowl? I I haven't been following, no. So Squarespace has purchased a slot in this year's lineup of commercials, and it's going to be featuring Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 in a reprised role. Well, we all love that song. We do love that song. People are getting weirdly upset, though, that the 9 to 5 is too long of a work day and the fact that America is in a gig economy type state right now. And there's a lot of weird online animosity. It's like, can we just, can we just... Can we just rock out to Dolly Parton for whatever fun idea they have for for, a commercial is and not dig into it? For For 30 seconds, we just have to watch a commercial and maybe try and forget and just, you know, wait for the football to come back. Well, speaking of things that aren't necessarily football related, but still fall in this atmosphere, we like to talk bets here. We like to make our picks. We have a couple of things that fall on this bet sheet that don't have really anything to do with the game. We always see a list of fun prop bets come out for the Super Bowl. Gotta wonder, what's one of your favorites? Oh, this one's easy. My favorite prop bet is probably the best, one of the best prop bets you can pick, because it's always 50-50 shot, is picking that coin toss. And you know right away. So you get it You get it done and over with. Before yeah. the game's even started, you know your result. You just throw it right out there. Boom. You either double it or you're sitting there right off the bat with a fat loss while the score is 0-0. That's a fun one. Another one that just always catches my eye and I find is interesting is the over-under for the National Anthem, which is one of the most controversial bets in the whole season of the Super Bowl because there are so many different factors, right? There are certain people that get to see rehearsals, which means there is 
information, disadvantage information that certain people have. They also judge it based on different things. So some people argue it's judged when the network cuts away from the person singing, where other people argue if the person's still singing in the background. An example is they might cut away for the flyover of the B-52s or whatever. But a lot of people argue if they're still singing when they cut away, it's still going. A lot of people argue, no, it ends when they cut the camera away. I mean, it's a really weird bet. And honestly, the fact that it's still there is really controversial yeah. as well. But that's always fun. Going with the over-under, going with whether it's going to be an even or an odd amount of seconds that the national anthem takes. Goofy stuff. But, hey, it literally goes to show people will bet on virtually anything. And it's pretty interesting this year. It's going to be a duet. It's not just one anthem singer. We have both Jasmine Sullivan and Eric Church, some Grammy-nominated artists, belting out this year's national anthem. Yeah, it's definitely going to be something to look forward to. I mean, there is a ton of great music to look forward to. And I, I got to ask, are you are you looking forward to the weekend? Yeah, man, it's Super Bowl weekend. Of course I'm looking. I mean, it, I mean, it's already started. It's Friday. I know, but, like, are you looking forward to the weekend? Yes, I enjoy Super Bowl weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends all are year. You, are you doing this on purpose or the halftime show being performed by the artist The Weekend? Oh yeah, you know, he's pretty good. Blind Lights is alright. But obviously we we look forward to every aspect of this weekend, but The Weekend will be a great addition to a already fantastic day of events. He's a great artist. I think produces music that tends to be liked cross genres yeah it's good party vibe music for a, a very party vibe atmosphere so we can definitely look forward to that this is going to be one of the ones you know i t i watch every every halftime show i watch every super bowl i watch every halftime show but this is one that i'm particularly interested to see you know crowd interaction and those kinds of things have been so much the focus of so many recent Super Bowls, like where they have all the people in the on the field wearing wristbands and doing weird sort of things yeah, that light up, and, and yeah, Shakira I'm, and J Lo last year, exactly where everybody was just staring at them. You know, I, you wonder what the atmosphere is going to look like without that type of close interaction and limited fans, and again, COVID being draped all over everything we've done this year. It will be interesting to see. Final thoughts on this one. We've got picks to make. Right now, the Chiefs are three-point favorites despite being on the road in this one. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, I actually think technically they are the home team with the better record of the two. It's pretty funny. But, yes, playing in the in their opponent's stadium, it's pretty... It's going to be a tough uh, argument to get them to buy being the home team for this event. So three-point spread. To me, this one's no question, at least on this line. I like Andy Reid. I like Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, the Honey Badger, Eric Bieniemy. I like the Kansas City Chiefs to knock Tom Brady back down to reality, keep his ring count where it was when he left New England, and put a second ring on Mahomes' hand and a second on Andy's, at least on his, on his head coaching hand. I imagine he keeps them in separate hands. He's got the assistant coach hand and the head coaching hand. We saw this matchup already this season. They played 
during the regular season this year, and it was a three-point spread in that game, 27-24, and Andy Reid and the Chiefs got the upper hand in that one. You don't make a lot of money, though, betting against Tom Brady, and I think Tom Brady's got to be my pick in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. With Yeah, I know, I, I hate myself, but, yeah, I don't like it either. But you're getting three points with the spread. I think you got to go Tampa Bay plus the three points. Although, if I am looking at the money line, I'm throwing, I'm throwing out on the Chiefs. And we have a over-under set at a relatively high 56 Again, just looking back at that 27-24 final, we are only a 51 there, so pretty high, especially we've seen a lot of lower-scoring games in these playoffs, at least for the most part. A little bit surprised to see that number that high, but with these offenses, with the fireworks, with the skill player positions, all of that, it's not crazy. What are your thoughts? I like the over in this. I think we're going to see the playbooks absolutely emptied, all the, all the plastic sheets ripped out, scattered across the field i mean you have two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league one for two decades one for the past couple years but each year has been somehow an improvement on already an impressive season i like the over of 56 points in this one and i'm hoping that we get to see some absolute bomb fireworks displays but no cannons what do you think about this one well, I am thinking we see the under. I am going to go on the opposite side here. Obviously, the overs never out of the question with these two quarterbacks, with these two offenses. We just went down the whole list. If you, if you need reasons why, restart the episode. But I think in general, people always want to hype up offense. Everybody wants to romanticize a brilliant offensive game in their mind. That Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl is what everybody wants when they think of a great game. And I don't know if this is going to be that great of a game. I mean, I, I think it's going to be good. Again, I, rather, I don't know if that's the appropriate thing to metric a great game. Because I think this will be a great game, but I don't know if it's going to be that high scoring. These are good offenses, but they are also really good, well-coached defenses, and they've already seen each other once this year. So I am going to go on the opposite side of this ledger here, and I am going to say under for the 56. But I do think it's that time of the day that we all dread where we have to take our ball and go home. It's time to hit the showers. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Balls Over the Top podcast. As always, you can find us on our socials at at B-O-T-T podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And this podcast is available everywhere podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to find us on a podcasting site, we're there. Yeah, and if you could, if it's available depending on your platform, smash that like or subscribe or even just throw the link up and share it with some friends. We really appreciate it, guys. We Th do. Thanks. Thanks.